Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. A reminder, as you're making your travel plans, remember to check johnnydollarair.com first. johnnydollarair.com is our Priceline affiliate link. So part of your purchase price goes to support the great detectives of old-time radio at no additional cost to you. So remember, when making your travel plans, check johnnydollarair.com first. Now it is time for this week's episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air date, July the 27th, 1954. And the title is The Radioactive Gold Matter. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, the refreshing, delicious treat that gives you chewing enjoyment, presents for your listening enjoyment, John Lund as... Johnny Dollar. Get fast, Johnny. How fast can you get to the airport? Well, 30 minutes if I finish breakfast and 10 if I don't. They'll give you something to eat on the plane. Where am I going? South Bend, Indiana. Washington Research Hospital. They were robbed last night. $150 worth of gold. You're pretty excited about a claim that size, aren't you? We were right to be. The gold is what they call an isotope, used for experimental purposes. Highly radioactive. Whoever stole it is carrying potential death around with him. Well, I guess the airline's coffee is better than mine anyway. I'll see you, Ed. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum bring you John Lund in another adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, the makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum present these weekly adventures of Johnny Dollar because they know that millions of you enjoy Johnny Dollar. That's true of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum, too. It's enjoyed by millions, day in and day out. People find that chewing on a smooth, delicious piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum somehow makes time pass more pleasantly. Whether you're working, driving, shopping, or just taking things easy, that good, tasty chewing gives you enjoyment and satisfaction. So always keep a package of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. And whenever you want a refreshing, delicious treat, chew a stick. You'll like it. You really will. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office, Corinthian Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the radioactive gold matter. Expense account item one, $52.75, airfare and incidentals between Hartford and South Bend, Indiana. Expense account item two, $1.40, cab fare out to Washington Research Hospital. Dr. Reed McKinlock was in charge of the radiological laboratories. It's impossible to overemphasize the seriousness of the situation, Mr. Dollar. An extremely lethal weapon is loose somewhere in the city of South Bend. Would you mind explaining what this gold is, Doctor, and why it's so deadly? It's what we call a radioactive isotope. That means the gold's been exposed to an atomic pile. 
until it becomes highly radioactive. We use it here as well as a number of other isotopes in the treatment of certain malignancies. Mm-hmm. Now, what form does it come in, Doctor? Both gold leaf and needles, depending on whether we wish to employ solutions or a direct injection. What kind of protection do you have against its radioactivity when it's not in use? Well, all our isotopes are kept in small glass vials, which are in turn kept in small lead boxes. When not in active use, we place them in a lead vault in our laboratory. Any of the other isotopes missing? No, just the gold, which means there couldn't have been much of a profit motive in the theft. Why not, Doctor? Well, we only had four ounces of the gold, so as a metal, it wasn't worth too much. And as an isotope, others such as carbon-14 or iron-55 are three times as valuable. Mm-hmm. Any other reason for anyone taking it? Outside of its value in research and healing, it's practically worthless. I can't possibly conceive of any reason for its theft. All my staff have been with me for some time. According to Dr. McKinlock, the radioactive gold had been used on a patient the day before, placed in the vault that night, and a laboratory technician had discovered its loss at 8 o'clock in the morning. Apparently, whoever had taken it was unaware of its lethal properties. The protective lead box had been left behind. Doris Floria, the lab technician, added one more bit of information. I, I, I can't help thinking it's all my fault, Mr. Dollar. I'm the one that's responsible. Well, why is that, Miss Floria? Well, one of my duties here is to check the vault each evening, make sure all the isotopes have been replaced, and then close and lock it. Well, didn't you do that last night? Oh, yes. At least I thought I did. You thought you did? When I came in this morning to unlock the vault, it it was partially opened. Apparently, I hadn't locked it last night. Well, we all make mistakes, Miss Floria. Yes, but not as deadly as this one's liable to be. Expense account item three, $1.75. Cab fare to police headquarters. I figured I'd better find out what the police were doing about things. Lieutenant Aritos told me. They've been working pretty fast, Mr. Dollar, trying to cover every possible angle. It's a fairly intangible thing to work on, though, a few flecks of gold in a glass jar. Some pretty deadly flecks, Lieutenant. How are you doing with the hospital personnel? We're checking them out as fast as we can. I haven't come up with anything so far. What about Doris Floria's story? Could have happened, as she said, failure to lock the vault door tightly. Either that or it was opened by somebody who knew the combination. No signs of forced entry. I suppose you've notified the newspapers and radio stations. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, they're giving us complete coverage. Scare headlines, spot broadcasts every 15 minutes. We have to do something to let this guy know he's committing suicide by carrying that stuff around. Yeah, that goes for anybody who might come in contact with him, too. I made a copy of the lieutenant's list of all the hospital employees who might have had access to the vault room during the hours of 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Then I started back for the hospital to recheck. I was still looking for a cab outside of police headquarters when Lieutenant Aritos came hurrying out of the building and changed my plan of action. Better forget the cab and come along with me, Dollar. Why, what happened, Lieutenant? We sent out a flyer to all the pawn shops and precious metal buyers in town. A fellow by the name of Gus Parker called in. Owns the Helpful Friend Collateral Company on South Walter Street. He just caught one of the radio broadcasts, scared him to death. He bought that hot gold at 10.30 this morning. Believe me, I'm glad to see you, Lieutenant. Oh, I'm plenty glad. Oh, you know? 
you are. It's the first time, Parker. Now, that's no way to talk, Lieutenant. Just because we had a few, well, kind of disagreements. Don't mean we're not friends. I'm doing you a good turn right now to prove it. <laughs> Ain't I? Yeah, I'll believe it when I see the proof, Parker. Yeah, well, the proof, he says. Oh, that atom gold stuff. That's what I got for proof. <laughs> Maybe my dead body will be proof enough for you. How do you know it's the radioactive gold, Mr. Parker? Well, how do I know, yes? Gold leaf, it said on the radio, didn't it? Gold leaf and needles, maybe four ounces. That's what it said, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's what it said. Okay, so this guy comes into my place at 10.30 this morning. Well, gold leaf, he's got three troy ounces of it. And he wants to sell. And so I buy like an idiot, I, I should have hit him over the head. I should have shot him. But like an idiot, I buy it. Did he tell you where he got the gold? Oh, sure, yes, he told me. Oh, yeah, well, you think I buy gold without asking? Off in the windows in his place of business, he said. He had a big television store. He went broke, so he scraped the gold leaf off the windows. And that's when he came to peddle to me. He said, oh, that liar. I should have shot him. Look, three troy ounces is a lot of leaf to scrape off a store window. Well, so maybe he had a big store, lots of windows. How do I know? Well, that's what he told me, so I bought this stuff. Where is it, Parker? It's back there. It's laying on the counter in the back of the... Don't ask me to take you over there. I'm not getting within 15 feet of that stuff. Three troy ounces of atom bomb. I, I wouldn't get within 15 feet of that. Let's take a look, Lieutenant. Huh? That's gold leaf, all right. Clean, too. It wasn't scraped off any store window. How'd he bring it in, Parker? A glass jar? But he had Box. the stuff in an envelope. A paper envelope. I've got the whole store full of that Adam stuff. Now my counter, the scale, me. Get it out of here. Get it. I've got a lead box in the car, Dollar. We'll put it in there and have the hospital check. Yeah, okay, Lieutenant. Mr. Parker, have you got a record of the man who brought the gold in? Well, yeah, sure I got it. It's right here in my book. Wait a minute, let me see. Um... Ah, yes, here it is. John Jones, 625. Uh, Florney, Flor... Flournoy, Flournoy. Street. John Jones, huh? So that's the name he gave me. What am I going to do? Call a man a liar to his face? Oh, oh, say, listen, mister, that gold. You really think it's that atom stuff? We'll find that out at the hospital. Yeah, well, you let me know, won't you? It's got me plenty worried. Maybe I'm dying from it right now. You. Well, why don't you come with us and let him check you over? Uh, oh, now, how am I going to do that? Three hours to closing yet. Customers might come in here. After all, a fellow's got to make a buck, you know. <laughs> We put the gold leaf into the lead box with the help of some sugar tongs that Parker had around, called the hospital to tell him we were on the way, and drove down. Dr. McKinlock was in one of the x-ray rooms taking some plates when we walked in. Okay, Steve, that'll do it. That is all picture, doctor. That's it, Steve. You can put your shirt on now. Stop by tomorrow afternoon. We'll have the plates developed by then, and I'll let you know. You... You think everything be all right, Doctor? Nothing bad wrong. Everything be all right? It's my job to worry about these things, Steve, not yours. So run along, give that lovely bride of yours a kiss for me, will you? <laughs> Anna, she likes that, Doctor. You wait till I tell her. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Wait till I tell my Anna. <laughs> she likes that. Oh, sorry I had to keep you waiting. I wanted to be sure to get those plates on Steve Rojack today. Suspected malignancy. Do you think you have the gold? We're not sure, Doctor, but we've got some pure gold leaf. Well, let's check and see. I have a Geiger counter over here. And now, if you'll step back... Yeah, sure. Did you uh, get the man who had this? Not yet. Well, if this is hot, don't waste any time getting him down here. There may be still a chance to save his life. 
I'll pass the counter over now. Any increase in the intensity of the clicking, and we've got it. If there's not, well, let's see. Well, there's your answer, gentlemen. Yeah, looks like we start again from scratch. Progress came to a complete standstill. Somewhere in the city of South Bend, a man or woman was dying from radiation. But no one had responded to the notices in the papers nor to the radio broadcasts. Around 10 o'clock that night, I decided to call it quits and checked into the South Bend Hotel for some much-needed sleep. During the night, my plans were rudely interrupted. Johnny Dollar. Oh, I'm sorry to disturb you, Mr. Dollar. This is Dr. McKinlock. Can you come down here to the hospital right away? At 2.30 in the morning? Why? Well, it's our laboratory technician, Doris Floria. Uh, she came in here about 20 minutes ago in an advanced state of hysteria. She's under the impression she's dying from radiation poisoning. Friends, here's a suggestion that'll add to your family's fun when you go on a picnic or family outing. When you're packing that picnic basket, put in some packages of delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. You see, Wrigley's Spearmint is a treat that everyone can enjoy between meals because it won't spoil the appetite. It's refreshing, too, helps to relieve thirst and keeps the mouth cool and fresh on a hot day. And chewing on a smooth, good piece of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum seems to make whatever you're doing more enjoyable. It's right in step with picnic activities. So when you're doing your picnic shopping, be sure to include some Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. It'll add to the fun, and remember, it's healthful, refreshing, delicious. And now with our star, John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. made good time getting here, Mr. Dollar. Well, I wasn't going to waste any after what you told me. Where's Miss Floria? She's in one of the treatment rooms down this way. Just what happened, Doctor? She came into the hospital at 1.50 a.m., sobbing and moaning rather incoherently about dying from radiation poisoning. When the resident on duty called me, I came down, gave her a sedative, and put in the call to you. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the room, Mr. Dollar. I've already made a preliminary examination. Did you find anything? There's slight but very definite radioactivity spread generally over her body. Of course, the counter shows any contamination almost immediately. But the secondary symptoms usually take 8 to 14 days to make their appearance. Uh-huh. Okay, let's talk to her. Doris. Huh? It's Dr. McKinlock, Doris. I've told you all I know. I'm guilty. You know I'm guilty. Why don't you take me away? We want to ask you a few questions, Doris told you everything I know. I'm guilty. What more do you have to know? What are you guilty of, Doris? Taking the radioactive gold? I'm careless. 
incompetent. I don't deserve to be a technician here. Can't you understand that? I should be punished, not questioned. Punished. How are you careless? By exposing yourself to radiation? Yes. Yes. What do you think I've been telling you? Night after night, having to take all that time, using the shields, the tongs, to put the isotopes away, wasting time, wasting time. So you've been shortcutting the safety procedures, is that it, Doris? You haven't been following the safety rules? I just told you that, didn't I? Callous, incompetent. Now I'm dying, and I deserve to die, to be punished. Why, Doris? Did you take the gold? Take it? Take the gold? Yes, did you take the gold from the vault? No. No, I didn't take it. Who said I took it? I wouldn't steal. Well, then why are you guilty, Doris? What did you do? The vault, night before. I did close it. Locked it tight. But the gold... What about the gold, Doris? It wasn't in the lab. I left it out on the treatment room. I forgot all about it. Left it out there. For anybody to take. Anybody. Why don't you punish me for that? I'm guilty. Why don't you punish me? All Doris Floria had done was to throw our field of suspects wide open. Lieutenant Aridos was a far from happy man when I gave him that information the next morning. Uh, that's all I had to hear this morning, Dollar. That's all I needed to furnish the topping for the stuff. What stuff, Lieutenant? The result of those newspaper and radio stories. Every crank in town is beginning to call him. Look, this fella claims his neighbor's got the radioactive gold. How does he know? Because the guy's a spy. Right now he's building a hydrogen bomb with it out in the backyard. Yeah. Here. Here's one from a gold buyer out on the west side. He bought the stuff last night. He's sure of it. Only it turns out he's got a half a dozen gold-plated tie pins on his hands. That's the way it's been going, Dollar. We've got to check them out one by one. Yeah, policemen often tell me that a policeman's lot is not a happy one. I know an insurance investigator who wasn't doing too well either. Hmm. No comment, Lieutenant. Mm-hmm. Where are you going from here, Dollar? Out to the hospital. No place else to go. Maybe we missed something down the line there. I doubt it. Yeah, so do I, but I got to do something. 24 hours have gone by. Yeah. Haven't gotten very far, have we? The squad car gave me a lift back to the hospital, and I went into the questioning routine again. I was studying the very negative results of my handiwork when Dr. McKinlock brought me some interesting information. Remember that patient I had in here yesterday, Mr. Dollar, Steve Rojack? Rojack? I was giving him some X-ray tests when you and Lieutenant Doritos came in. Oh, yeah, the one you thought might have a malignancy. Well, we gave him a tracer dose of phosphorus-32 last night, and I was going to check him with this portable counter. But while I was carrying it down the corridor just now, the counter became activated. You mean there's some radioactivity out in the corridor right now? That's right. Well, where's it coming from, Doctor? I'll show you. Now, this is a pretty sensitive instrument. Don't let the volume of its activity concern you. I'll take your word for it. This is the maximum intensity right here. Well, there's nothing in the corridor to produce that. What's over there? A utility cabinet? That's right. Let's look inside. There it is. Yeah. A rubbish cart. The kinds your porters and orderlies push around. And it's contaminated. 
Could that have happened if somebody had carried a radioactive substance hidden inside? It could. Huh. Now all we have to do is figure out who used it. I'm afraid that's in your province rather than in mine, Mr. Dollar. While Dr. McKinlock prepared the cart for decontamination, I put a call through to Lieutenant Aridos and gave him the names and addresses of all hospital porters and orderlies who'd been on duty the night of the robbery. He had them all down at the hospital within an hour. Then Dr. McKinlock began to test each man for radioactive contamination with the Geiger counter. Just uh, step up here, Brandon. That's right. Now, stand still. That's all, Brandon. Thank you. Hartley, will you step up, please? That's right. Now, stand still. Okay, Hartley, thank you. Schwagert, you're next. That's right. Now, stand right there, please. Okay, Schwagert, thank you. Dobson, you're next. The entire process took a little less than 20 minutes. Not once did that little black box with its flashing light and irregular clicking show the slightest interest in anyone it was introduced to. My bright idea turned out to be a complete flop. Expense account item four, $12.35. Cab fares and miscellaneous during the rest of that day. I divided my time between the hospital and police headquarters and came up with nothing. At 7.30 that night, I was sitting at the hotel bar wondering whether to wire in my resignation right then or wait till I got back to Hartford when I got a phone call from Lieutenant Aritos. I'll pick you up outside in a couple of minutes, darling. Why, what's up? We might have our first victim of radiation poisoning from that gold. Yeah, who is it? An eight-year-old boy named Bobby Thatcher. His mother just brought him into the hospital. What makes you think he's been exposed? She found him playing with a little glass bottle with some specks of gold on the bottom of it. The label said Washington Research Hospital. He has to be all right. Bobby just has to be all right. There's no sense in getting yourself all upset before we hear the report, Mrs. Thatcher. We're not sure that Bobby was exposed to any radiation. Oh, Mr. Dollar, you know better than that, and so do I. The radio broadcasts were clear enough. Bobby was exposed. I'm only praying that I caught it in time, that the radiation won't have caused too much damage. I suppose you tell us just what happened. Well, it was about 7 o'clock tonight. Bobby was playing out in the backyard after dinner. It was getting time for his bath, so I went out to bring him in. That's when I found him playing with the glass bottle. For a minute, I was stunned. I I didn't know what to do. What did you do, Mrs. Thatcher? Well, I knew I had to get Bobby to the hospital immediately, and I knew you people would want to see the bottle. So I put the bottle in an old tin can. I wrapped the whole thing in newspaper, put it in the luggage compartment of the car, and drove Bobby right down here. Do you have any idea where he got the bottle, Mrs. Thatcher? Where it came from? I asked him that on the way down. He said he found it in the neighbor's yard. What neighbor is that? Oh, there's an elderly couple lives next door to us. We don't have a fence between the two properties, and Bobby wandered over there. I guess he found the bottle and brought it back. What are the neighbors' names? Oh, Lieutenant, I don't want to get them in trouble. I'm sure they couldn't have had anything to do with it. They're such a kindly old couple. We'll have to have the names, Mrs. Thatcher. But to disturb them now about something they couldn't possibly be connected with, it would be a terrible pity. Why is that? They're going to have a party tonight to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. The whole neighborhood's going to be there. It'd be terrible to disturb them on a night like this. You're pretty disturbed about your son, Mrs. Thatcher. 
There may be other people who are disturbed in the same way. Yes, I suppose you're right. And you could go out there and find out anyway. Well, they're uh, Mr. and Mrs. Stephen Rojack. We made a check of the hospital records on Rojack before we started out. They showed that Stephen Rojack had been admitted for treatment at 7.45 p.m. the night of the robbery and had remained there undergoing tests for approximately two and a half hours. Gentlemen, is there something I can do for you? You're Mr. Rojak? Yeah, uh, that's right, Stephen Rojak. I'm Lieutenant Aridos. This is Mr. Dollar. We'd like to ask you a few questions. Lieutenant, you say? Then you are from police. That's right. Uh, that is too bad. Too bad. What is, Mr. Rojak? That this should happen tonight, that you should find out now when is our 50th wedding anniversary. Yeah, too bad. Can we come in, Mr. Rojak? If you do not mind, Lieutenant, my wife, Anna, she does not know. Could we talk in back in my workshop? Yeah, that'll be all right. Thank you. Thank you. You know why we're here, Mr. Rojak? Yeah, yeah, I know. It is about gold. You took it from the hospital? Yeah, I took it, Mr. Dollar. That rubbish cart I used it to take to the door, then in my pocket. Where is it now, Roger? It's back here, Lieutenant, in my workshop. In here, gentlemen, please. Thanks. I will get the light for you. Ah, so. Now, what did you wish to ask me, gentlemen? Why'd you take the gold, Mr. Rojak? <laughs> that is such a simple question, Lieutenant. It's so hard to answer. You must have had a reason. Reason? Yeah. Fifty years of reason, Mr. Dollar. You're talking about your wife? My Anna. For fifty years we've been together, Anna and me, like... that one person you become in fifty years. You understand, you... You raise children, have good time, have bad, like... Like one person it make you. Yeah. We understand. Now... Now comes time of celebration, the, the anniversary. Golden time it is to be, and that is what I wanted for my Anna. Golden time, golden present. Look here, I, I will show you. I have it here in my workbench. Don't touch it, Rojak. But why should I not put that? It is nothing but gold. I have been working with it almost constantly for two days now. There. You see, gentlemen, what I have made? Two golden rings. Two gold rings with design in them. A design which, when they are placed so, joins them both together. You made the rings out of the gold, huh? Hmm? Golden present for Anna on our golden anniversary. I, I know it was a wrong thing to do, taking the gold, but... But when I saw it there in the hospital on the table, I knew what I had to do to make this for Anna. You've been working with that gold for two days? Hmm? Two days, right. 
Haven't you read any papers in that time? Listened to any radio broadcasts? Oh, I'm sorry. I do not read in English and radio we do not have. Yeah, I see. I was going to pay back for the gold after my treatment. I was going to pay back. And I will pay. Yes, Mr. Rojak. You will. Expense account item five, forty-two dollars and twenty cents, hotel bill and miscellaneous. Expense account item six, fifty-five dollars, airfare and incidentals back to Hartford. Expense account total, one hundred sixty-five dollars and forty-five cents. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Friends, next time you chew a stick of Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, notice how cool and fresh it makes your mouth feel. That's because Wrigley's Spearmint Gum has lots of lively, refreshing, real spearmint flavor in every stick. The minute you sink your teeth in, that cooling flavor begins to freshen your taste and relieve that hot, dry feeling in your throat. It sweetens the breath, too. Millions of people carry Wrigley's Spearmint Gum with them wherever they go for quick, long-lasting refreshment and for real chewing enjoyment. Next time you're at the store, get some Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Enjoy its refreshing flavor and good, pleasant chewing often, every day. Remember, that's Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, brought to you by Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum, stars John Lund in the title role and was written by Sidney Marshall with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Lou Merrill, Joseph Kearns, Gene Bates, High Averback, Howard McNear, and Mary Jane Croft. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Jaime Dalvalle. Makers of Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you enjoyed tonight's story of Johnny Dollar and that you're enjoying delicious Wrigley Spearmint Gum every day. This is Charles Lyon inviting you to join us again next week at the same time when from Hollywood, John Lund returns as... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is the PBS Radio Network. Welcome back. Even though this was towards the end of the John Lund era, this was an absolutely solid episode. Very well acted and well written. So whatever rationale that CBS would use to cancel the program, it would not be because it was not putting out a solid product. Sidney Marshall does a really good job on the writing in getting this just right in terms of tone. The opening call was more believably businesslike than many we get. You know, Johnny will pick up the phone, say Johnny Dollar, and somebody on the other end will say something like, Bob Kingsley, West North South, liability and indemnity. Have you ever wondered if fish dream? 
or try to be all mysterious about why they are asking Johnny to fly out somewhere in a rush. Here, the insurance company is very direct, and it just kind of allows us to get into the story. And the episode has high stakes and a very good uh, and believable contemporary problem. In addition to a very solid guest cast, the sort of actors who have been appearing on Johnny Dollar throughout the Lund era and would continue to do so in the Bailey era. Howard McNear, as always a highlight, with his performance as the pawnbroker, probably the one somewhat lighter moment. I am somewhat dubious of the legality of pawnbrokers who shoot people who bring them bad uh, goods to pawn. I definitely felt some sympathy for Nurse Floria, but I think she was probably right that this whole thing was her fault and that she probably should be dismissed. You know, there are a lot of jobs that have procedures that may not seem necessary and you might cut corners. You really can't do that with radiation. You get in here an idea of the sort of danger that happens when you aren't responsible with the way you handle those things. Even though Mr. Rojack stole the gold, I can't help but feel bad for him. The way that the episode is written, it strongly implies that he's going to get sick and probably die as a result of the long-term exposure to the isotope, which is a tragic thing to happen to a guy who otherwise lived a good life and was just trying to find some way to honor his wife and marriage on his 50th anniversary. Now, I didn't feel quite as bad about it as I did what happened to Mr. Tagawa on Dr. Tam, but having these two episodes air in the same week is kind of one of those little serendipitous occasions where you've got the same theme running across multiple episodes in a given week, even though they aired years apart. And I think the theme of the early years of the atomic age and all of the challenges that went into it. You think about someone like Mr. Rojak. Given that his 50th anniversary was occurring in 1954, meaning he got married in 1904, and given that era, he was probably like between 17 and 20. I th you know, could have been a little older, but I think 17 to 20 is, you know, a reasonable range. So that means he was probably born between 1884 and 1887. So he was inhabiting not just a different country than the one he was born in, but in many ways a different world, a different age with a very different way of life than born into. And this was true even if you were a, a native of the United States. You think of the world of 1884 or 1904 or 1924. 
How radically different was the world of 1954 from the one that uh, so many had been born in? And there were so many changes, and probably the biggest was the Atomic Age. And while this was a fictional story, there were certainly a lot of mishaps with radiation and the potential danger as writers and creators saw it include humanity wiping itself out either through accident or through some sort of uh, nuclear holocaust and there were some horrific things that happened but for the most part humanity muddled through we don't handle things perfectly but we found some beneficial uses for radiation and we've learned, in some cases, a hard way about uh, safety requirements. And we figured out how to live in this new world. And this makes me hopeful about worries about modern technologies. Because I, there are many people who worry about them, and sometimes I find myself among them. But thinking about this episode made me think... Maybe it will be the same with the sort of technologies that we worry about today. We'll make our mistakes. We'll make corrections. We'll learn to use these technologies more wisely. And somehow or another, we'll end up muddling through. That's just a positive thought going into the weekend. And I'm not saying be happy, don't worry, or be complacent and everything will work out. But if you ever, you know, get into a mode of just feeling doom and gloom about everything, it was helpful to me to just think, well, you know, we faced challenges before and we found ways to correct and to do better. And hopefully that will happen with whatever we're concerned about at the moment. Now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Haskell. Haskell has been one of our Patreon supporters since August 2015, currently supporting the program at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Again, thank you so much for your support, Haskell. And uh, that will do it for today. I do want to remind you that if you want to be sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, you can subscribe using your favorite podcast software, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or the Amazon Music app at amazon.com slash otrdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. Next Tuesday, we'll be bringing you Meet Miss Sherlock, and next Friday, we'll have another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But join us back here tomorrow for Tales of the Texas Rangers, where... Hey, Dad! Go on, Reno. Don't bother me now. I'm talking to the Ranger. But listen, Dad! Now, this is my daughter. The kids are sort of excited this morning, because they're the ones who discovered the calves missing. I'm trying to tell you, Dad. We found them. The calves? Yeah. Whereabouts? Over at Schmidt's place. Are oh, that dirty crook. Right in his south field, aren't they, Dink? Yeah, that's right. Honest. Oh, shows you never can trust anybody. Are you sure they're your dad's calves? I'm dead sure they are. You see, we took a shortcut over by his place on our way to school, and, and we just happened to see him, four of them. And I know they're my dad's. Come on, I'll show you. Now, wait a minute. You've been running that pony too hard. Now, take it easy, kids. Let those horses rest a minute. They're pretty winded. Well, I had to get back and tell my dad about Schmidt having the calves. 
You going to arrest him? Yeah, you have to be sure he stole them first, don't we? Well, I just told you. We found them right over there in Schmidt's field. What do you know about this Schmidt, Sheriff? Oh, I've known him for a long time, Jace. Lives there with his little daughter. Always seemed like an honest, hard-working old fella to me. I'll tell you, Ranger, he stole our calves. Well, we'll look into it, Reno. Say, how come you kids aren't in school now? The Ranger's right, Reno. You kids make track for school. Go on, beat it. Oh, but we want to see you arrested. You do like I said, Reno, or I'll tan you good. Maybe you better do what your dad says, Reno. We can take care of things all right. Get going, Reno. Oh, all right. Come on, gang. Get up there, You shouldn't let the kid run the horse that way, Mr. Watley. And she'll ruin his mouth yanking at it like that. You're right, but it ain't easy to tell Reno what to do. Especially when her mother's away. Effie's up visiting her sister this week. And I got my hands full, I can tell you. Look at those kids ride, Jace. Yeah. Shouldn't have a horse if they don't know how to take care of him. Well, we might as well go on over and have a talk with Schmidt, I guess. You want to come with us, Mr. Watley? Well, if they are your calves, you'll have to identify them. All right. We can all go in my car. Where do I head when I get out of the ranch here, Sheriff? Well, see over yonder across the field where the kids are riding? Yeah. Well, it's straight over that way. But we got to go around. And I'll be mighty surprised, Watley, if Gus Schmidt ever did any stealing of any kind. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives. Check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.